Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ask a Navigide, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. On this show, we tackle subjects in aging and family caregiving that can be stressful to work through, and we do it with tips and advice from the United Church Homes Navigide team. Our Navigides have done Decades of experience helping families work through these issues, and we hope that what we share in the show will help everyone everywhere age with abundance. Today, we're lucky to have our Navigide, Jennifer, with us, and who's going to help us understand food insecurity and the types of food programs that are out there that can help. And I know that there's a lot of options, so we're going to dive into it. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Mike. Great to see you again. Before we get started, we got to read this statement. The opinions shared in this podcast are those of our amazing Navigides and hosts and are not meant to convey nor take the place of clinical, legal, or other professional advice. So as we always do, we just like to start these things out by sort of introducing you, Jennifer, or really having you introduce yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what you do as a Navigide, where you're located, and the types of people that you serve every day? Sure. I am a Navigide in Northern Indiana in Marshall County in Elkhart County, Indiana. I work in two affordable housing communities that serves individuals 62 and older. So I don't know why I'm here, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) But you do a lot. I mean, I just think about everything our Navigides do. I mean, you can be, obviously, we're talking to you right now about food insecurity issues, but I mean, gosh, you're arranging transportation, you're giving advice around different types of health insurance coverage, you're dealing with hospital discharges, you're you're probably dealing with all sorts of family dynamics. And I'm guessing every day as a Navigide is absolutely the same, right? You come in and you do just the same thing day in and day out. That's, I'm accurate there, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, every single day is the same. We don't do anything (laughs) different from day to day. We just sit at our desk and, you know, kind of (laughs) hope people come in and need our help. And (laughs) no, I'm kidding. (laughs) So (laughs) what we do as Nama Guys is we assist them, or the individuals that we serve, we assist them with obtaining supportive services, which allow them to age in place. So if that's what they want to do. We are, we take a very holistic approach to our jobs and the individual, meaning we don't, we look at the whole person. We don't just look at one little part of each person. And then we address the needs based on that individual's needs and or desires. Um, So we don't take a one size fits all approach. We understand that the, you know, what the needs of our seniors are. And then, we we get them assistance through qualified providers. So it, it's a great job. You know, I've worked in long-term care facilities and social services, and I did interact with individuals that really, they would have rather, they would have rather been at home. And, you know, um, some of them probably could have remained in their homes if someone had assisted them by just putting a few supports in place. And so I get to do that as a Navigide. That's amazing. And tell me true or not, when you actually engage people as people, meet them where they are, and, um, you know, put 
supports in place that really work with their motivations, their goals, you know, I'm guessing that might help a bit, right? <laughs> Actually, you know, that holistic model of support. Yeah, it absolutely helps. I mean, we, you know, that you hear so often, you have to meet people where they're at. And that is just absolutely true. A lot of people, they say that, but they don't really, they want to force the services onto people that they feel they need. So, you know, it never works when right. you do that kind of thing. People have a right to choose. Whether I agree with their decision or not, they have a right to choose. So I have to approach people, you know, as individuals and, you know, I have to understand what they desire. So, you know, do they want to stay in their home? Is that their desire? So what can I do to help them do that? We all grew up differently. We all have different belief systems. We all have all of these things that have just created who we are. So I can approach them from my own mindset. I have to be able to approach them from their mindset and the things that they're going to find suitable to their needs. And, you know, that just also comes back to the dignity thing. I have to do this with dignity because if I sit there and I tell everyone what they need and I tell them, you know, then basically I'm treating them like a child. And these are our people that we should be looking up to. These are the people that, you know, they've lived life. They have so much experience. They have so much wisdom. And so I need to treat them with that dignity and respect and meet them where they're at and not just kind of push my beliefs on them. And it reminds me of the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. Um, the golden rule, treat others as, as you would like to be treated. Platinum rule, treat others as they would like to be treated, you know? And man, that really brings that home for me. You know, in our previous podcast, we talked about just that, you know, recognizing the signs of food insecurity, recognizing the stigmas that might be there that may prevent someone from wanting to seek help, or even, you know, knowing that there's different options out there. So certainly, you know, with that model we just discussed, I mean, it's a great bet, best practice to get people to open up and say, yeah, I'm willing to try something. But there's a lot of different options out there. And I know that you're speaking from your experience in Northern Indiana, but I think as we you know, did some pre-prep for this meeting, you know, the types of things that you're seeing here in the United States are often things that are pretty, you know, you know, popular or at least common in other areas of the country. So I think that we've got you as a great proxy for a lot of the different things that are out there. But when we talk about types of food insecurity programs that are out there, what typically do you see? Oh, there's actually, there's quite a few different programs out there available to most people. Many of these programs are federal programs, so they are across the United States. We have the congregate meal sites. We have meal delivery programs. We have food banks in, you know, every county. And then, of course, there's food pantries. Um that people can utilize. And then another federal program would be the waiver programs. The waiver if through health insurance, Medicaid, Medicare waiver program. Well, let's spend some time going through each of that, if that's okay. You mentioned a congregate meal site. 
what is a congregate meal site? Okay. The congregate meal program provides nutritious meals to individuals 60 years and older and also their spouses. They don't have to meet the age requirement. Even if they're younger than 60? Yep. If you're married to someone under, you know, a 60-year-old, you're free to come and eat with them as well. These programs typically run Monday through Friday, and they are at various locations. This program, it's a federal program. It's funded through the Older Americans Act. Um, And then, of course, state and local resources are used to help, you know, with added funding for those. Um, If you participate in the congregate meals, there is a you know, a donation amount that they recommend, but no one's turned away if they can't pay. They just have a donation box out there. Nobody's paying attention to who's putting money in that. So, you know, you don't have to worry about if, you know, somebody say, you know, you don't have to worry about it if someone's not. It's not like they come up and collect money. Nobody knows. So you're free to come and participate regardless of whether you can pay the congregate meal sites are actually, you know, they're created to reduce hunger and food insecurity and, of course, malnutrition, but they also promote socialization and they support the overall health and well-being of adults. They conduct health screenings and they provide nutrition education during these um, lunches as well. The only challenge that I see with this program is that um, people might feel uncomfortable eating in front of others. And, you know, we had previously discussed maybe dental issues or I see hearing issues. Sometimes people have severe hearing issues. And so they feel uncomfortable participating in a congregate meal because they can't really participate in the the conversation. Yeah, congregate meal means that you're, it's a location that you go to and you're eating with a bunch of other people, right? Yes, that's correct. They're not grab-and-go programs. You don't just go pick up your food and leave. You, you have to eat the meal on site rather than in your home. So you, you find a meal site location and you go in there and you have your meal with everybody else. So that that kind of causes a couple other barriers as well with having to do that. You have to find the meal site location and then you have to have to get yourself there, which, you know, can cause an issue if you have transportation issues or mobility issues. And then that also brings back the whole people don't want to accept charity. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, this part we can overcome by just saying, hey, you know, it's not charity because if you want to participate, you can give a small donation if you want to, you know, and it's about socializing and things like that. So it, it is a really great program. Yeah. And I guess two questions I have kind of, you know, in thinking about that first, well, first of all, I know that you actually operate a congregate meal site at one of our locations. So I want to ask about how locations may kind of put up their hands and offer that. But if I'm a person that wants to find a congregate meal site in my area, where would I go? Would I just Google it or? <laughs> yeah. 
you can do that. You can Google it. I'm sure they come up. <laughs> but you could also just, you know, you can find the congregate meal sites through your local area on agents, agency on aging. And you can find that information at eldercare.acl.gov. So if you're not sure where your area agency on aging is or who they are, just go to that eldercare.acl.gov and, you know, you just type in your zip code and they're going to be able to connect you with the congregate mill site near you. So if okay, so, age- so, so sorry, say, say the uh, URL again. It's eldercare.acl.gov. Eldercare.acl.gov. Awesome. And then, you know, for operating a congregate meal site, what sort of obligations are involved? Okay. So if you're, I'll, I'll just kind of walk you through the process. If you want to become a meal site program or organization that hosts these meal sites. So both of my buildings are, we are congregate meal, meal sites. It's actually a pretty easy process. So first off, you need to contact your area agency on aging and let them know that you're interested in doing that. At that point, they would kind of look around the area and see if if a site is needed in that area. Another thing they might do, so like in my, for me, where I work, we are, you know, we're housing. So we have people that live right there. So we have the population that they're looking for. And I, you know, so I can already offer the amount of people, the minimum amount of people that they would require in order to, um, to host a mill site. So that's kind of the things that they would look for. Is there already a, a program in the area? And even if there is, do you have enough people of your own that would participate in order to, you know, allow them to open a site there? If you are approved, it's pretty simple. You basically sign a service agreement with the congregate mill site. So with your area agency on aging, you know, you're agreeing to their specified days and times that they're going to come into your building. You're letting them know they're going to have use of your kitchen, your community room during that time. You're allowing... um, other people to come into your building as well during those times. So other community people that live in the community, they can participate in this program. So you have to open your doors to that as well. Typically they come around 10 o'clock. So you're going to host a coffee hour or allow them to, which is a lot of socialization for the individuals that participate in this. And of course, you know, they're, they're not charging anything for us, right? I mean, they come in, they bring in the food. I mean, you'll have to clean up and things like that, but it sounds like it's pretty turnkey. It's, it is actually very turnkey. We, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, right. It doesn't cost you anything, but all you have to do is be willing to have open your doors to, to people coming into your building. You don't do cleanup. You don't do any of that. You don't help. Oh, okay. The food. Nope. It all gets brought into you. The individual that will come from the, they're called mill site directors. They come into the building, you know, usually from, in my buildings, it's 10 to 1. They come in, they 
they make the coffee, they they serve the food, they do all the cleanup. So I really, I don't have to do anything with that. The only thing that I have to do is make sure that there's available space in our fridge, <laughs> that we have functioning okay. appliances yep. in our kitchen. And annually we do the, your local health department may come in and do a check on the location and make sure that it's you know, that it meets their requirements as well. So that's something that I, you know, have to do just meet with them, which is like a 10 minute thing. It's not really a big deal. It's a great program. It sounds like it. Okay. So just to sum up congregate meal sites, you can find them through your local area agency on aging. You can Google it. If you want to give a donation, great. If not, that's okay. You can come in. Your spouses, if they're younger than the age 62, they can eat with you. You got to eat it there. You can't take it back to your room. You can't take it back to your house. And so it's for people that can actually have the transport to, to get there. So switching gears, let's talk a little bit about the, the meal delivery programs. I mean, I think uh, Meals on Wheels is probably the most well-known. So in what situation would you recommend like a Meals on Wheels or, or who are those, those types of programs for? So there are, there's a couple different meal delivery programs. Meals on Wells, you're right, is the most well-known food delivery program. So for those, the people that I would recommend for those would be those that, you know, have more difficulty, you know, with mobility and things of that nature. The Meals on Wheels, that is a needs-based program. So you have to be 60 and older, of course. And then you have to meet certain certain requirements as far as your ADL or activity of daily living deficiencies in order to qualify for that. Um, they provide services, you know, for Meals on Wheels, you would go through an, a little assessment process. You would do the application. They would see if you qualify the thing about Mills on Wheels is that it is a federal program, so it's throughout the country. But each organization kind of handles the program differently. So, and I know that's because, you know, some areas are just going to have, you know, they just have a whole, a high demand for it, and others maybe don't have as high of a demand, so they can lessen those requirements a little bit more. But it, it really is a needs-based program. 60 or older, some of them work on a, like a sliding scale fee. So it's based on the income or ability to pay. So that can range anywhere from them telling you you don't have to pay anything up to you would have to pay the full price for that. But I know they say that, but once again, just like the congregate meals, no one's turned away for failure to pay. This is also yes. funded under, yeah, it's also funded under the Older Americans Act. And then state and local resources also assist with that program. You know, depending on the demand for that program, though, you could be waitlisted. Sure. Hey, and with Meals on Wheels, I've seen it where, you know, often though they're giving people maybe a stack of frozen meals at once. Is that typical? So you're going to have to have room in your fridge or freezer for some of these meals? That actually is not typical. So what we see with Meals on Wheels during COVID, 
that is what we saw a lot. We also saw that in the congregate meals, they were kind of, because they still wanted people to have access to food. So they were kind of preparing meals like that. So when we see the frozen meals, that's usually the other types of kind of mail order meal programs that we see those like mom's meals or the homestyle direct. That's where we see kind of the more there. Sometimes they're fresh, but those where you're getting like all your meals for the week, they're coming to your door, they're being shipped to you. Those programs actually usually function underneath a Medicaid waiver. So if you've been approved for a Medicaid waiver, that's where you would see those programs more often. But Meals on Wheels typically will bring a fresh meal to you daily. Okay. All right. Very cool. So Meals on Wheels, you have to qualify for it. It's for people that could not get themselves to a congregate meal site. There would be an assessment. It's needs-based. Maybe you have to pay something, maybe not, but no one's turned away because of income. There's always an option. and. You refer people to this. I think that probably the local area agency on aging can do it as well. You can dial them up directly. So that's terrific. But you mentioned the waiver programs, and I want to get into that next. So waiver programs through health insurance, and it sounds like something you'd have to qualify for. Is that typically through like state Medicaid? Is it Medicare? What have you seen? So the Medicaid waiver programs, they are through Medicaid. So they're also called the Home and Community-Based Services, so or HCBS. So if you hear Medicaid waiver or you hear HCBS, that's it's the same thing. That's what they're talking about. So these programs, you know, they help support those long-term support and services that individuals may need in their home. So they do that rather than individuals having to go to long-term care facilities. Medicaid waiver has income and asset guidelines, and those vary by state. So once again, it's a federal program. Every single state's going to have some sort of waiver program, but the states kind of get to set the guidelines then for those. So in Indiana, there's an income limit of $2,742 and then an asset limit of $2,000. But you need to remember that this asset does not include the home that you're living in or your one personal vehicle. They don't include that in your assets. So your assets would be more, you know, the money that you have in the bank, or if you have stocks, bonds, different things of that, even whole life insurance, that would be considered an asset. So that's important. Whole life insurance can be considered an asset. Okay. Good to know. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that, but it is because you... has a cash value. You can cash those in. So anything that has a cash value that you can gain money from right now is considered an asset. So with Medicaid waiver program, if you're approved for that, then you would, once again, you could receive those mail order meals, you know, but there's a lot of other things that you could receive through through that program as well. And I know this is about food, so I don't want to get too far in depth with those things, but there are so many, you know, you could get those homemaker services. You could get, you know, things like attendant care, a shower aid, different things of that nature. Yeah. So, so home and community-based services, 
HCBS, otherwise LTS as long-term services and board. Yes. Um, income requirements, asset requirements. I've got a note here. So Medicaid itself would not qualify you for getting into one of these programs. You'd go through an area agency on aging or that sort of thing. Is that true? That's absolutely true. So, you know, the way that Medicaid waiver is, I'll, you know, just explain it briefly. So it is an income asset guideline. You have to meet those. Once you, you know, once you have met the that, it, then it, it is a needs-based program. So what's going to happen is they're going to assess you, assess each individual based off of their, the activities of daily living. That's what they, that's what they do. So what's activities of daily living? That is your ability to walk, ambulation. So that's what the, you know, that is your ability to transfer. So can you get up from a seated position? So that's what they're going to start. That's what they're going to assess you for. In order to qualify for Medicaid waiver, you have to have three activity of daily living deficiencies. So walking, transferring, dressing, grooming, eating, bathing. So how difficult is it for you to perform these activities? Do you have to have an assistive device or hands-on assistance in order to complete them? Right. So then the LTSSs which is the same as the, <laughs> you know, that's HCBS's, the HCBS's, right? Yeah. So it, that, that's how we're by, by the way, just top tip for people. Yeah. Just top tip. We actually discussed this in a previous episode that if you are, you know, in conversations with your doctor, insurance plan, or what have you, if you do run across what I like to call TLAs or three letter acronyms, or in this case, four letter, always take time to say, what is that? What does that mean? You know, it, most people won't know it, so don't feel embarrassed. So sorry, bit of an aside, but yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And since there's so many kind of different things that mean the same thing, <laughs> you know, just ask those questions because it can get very confusing. So it, it's always okay and actually in your best interest to just ask those questions. So these this waiver program is is way more than food, as I previously said. You can, if you're approved for it, you can receive services, the homemaker services, attendant care, shower aids. You can get therapy. You can get case management. But it's, you know, like you said earlier, Medicaid is not what qualifies you for this. So just because you're on full Medicaid does not mean you automatically qualify for waiver services. So the way to go about doing these waiver services is, you know, you have to do that referral to your area agency on aging. You can do that usually right on their website. So find out who your local area agency on aging, they have a very simple form, a referral form, most of them, right on their website. You could call and do it too if you don't want to use the computer. Once that referral's made, they're going to they're going to do a brief phone interview with you to see if they can determine over the phone that you have a need. But during that phone interview, I have to say this because this happens so often. You need to be honest. You have to be honest, okay? 
<laughs> so if you're asked if you have difficulty getting up from a seated position, and you can get up from a seated position, but you have to rock five times to get out of that seat, or you have to hold on to something in order to get out of the seat, the answer is yes. You have difficulty getting up from a seated position. And sometimes the questions are, um, you know, during the assessment, they're asked in a way that the general population may not understand. So in general, it's a great idea to have someone that's familiar with that process, such as a Naviguide, present during those <laughs> assessments. That's awesome. <laughs> and I also say here that uh, if even if you don't qualify for the full Medicaid program, you can still qualify. It's not just Medicaid. This is also available through Medicare, Medicare Advantage. They have these waiver programs. So if you're not a Medicaid recipient, there are still long-term services and supports or home-based, home and community-based services that you could qualify for. And the AAAs or the Area Agency on Aging could be helpful there as well, I guess, right? Yeah. So yeah, it just kind of, that's how the process works. So if you pass that phone interview, they're going to come out and they're going to do a complete assessment for you. That's what's going to happen. And then they're going to, if they can determine need that, so they're seeing that there's at least three deficiencies, you know, the ADL deficiencies, then they're going to start that care plan for you. And then that's kind of when the state comes in when we're dealing with Medicaid. So the area agency on aging or the caseworker through there is going to do that care plan with you. And then it's going to be sent to the state for approval. If the state approves it and says that you would qualify for Medicaid waiver, which I mean, I just want to define what waiver means. It means that the state is determining that you they're going to waive the normal income limits for full Medicaid, which is usually pretty low. I think it's 1,062 in Indiana, but as I told you, waiver is 27 something. So they're waiving that income limit so that you can qualify because they know that there's a need for you to have services in your home. So that's, that's awesome. how the process works. But if you're denied if you're denied the Medicaid, that doesn't mean that you can't receive waiver services. Now, often the, you know, the services you receive through your Medicare plans are short term, but there are different payer sources that your area agency on aging has that can help assist with those, you know, making sure that you're getting those long-term support and services in your home. So, that's another thing. Just because you end up getting those supported services doesn't mean you have full Medicaid. So you need, you know, people that gets a little bit confusing with those type of things. But yeah, don't just bow out because you're not approved for Medicaid because there are different payer sources. Yeah. And and even so, Jennifer, I mean, there, there's still, even when we get beyond the congruent meal sites and then the Meals on Wheels and the waiver program, there's still other programs you can access. And I've got a note here about, you know, food banks and the role that they play. And the fact that, you know, calling your local food bank could put you on to maybe programs you're not even aware of yet because they're the ones that deliver the food to the program. That's absolutely right. So, yeah, food banks are those nonprofit organizations that collect and store the food. And then they distribute them to your local food pantries or 
your soup kitchens or to other organizations that that work with people. Um, and then there, it's important to mention too that some food banks do have on-site pantries that are open to the public. And right. they are also the ones that kind that they organize those drive up food dis- distribution sites as well. But most of the federal programs are going to run underneath the food banks. They handle them. So because of that, they are just an amazing resource. So there's a couple of programs that I utilize through my local food bank. One is the com- Commodity Supplemental Food Program. And then the other one is the senior, senior Nutrition Program. And both of those programs target the older adults, so the population that I serve. So I can tell you a little bit about those programs, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay. So the Commodity Supplemental Food <laughs> Program is a national program. So every single one of us have access to participate in that program That program is geared towards individuals 60 years of age and older. So if you are that age, you could potentially receive a box of shelf-stable food items monthly. This program does have an income guideline. So you have to be at below or at or below the 130% of the federal poverty level, which is currently $1,580 a month for one person. So but that's geared towards okay. that. So if you meet that income level and you're 60 years or older, you could participate in that, in that program. The other program that I utilize is called the Senior Nutrition Program. And this is also... This one is ran through my specific food bank. So not every food bank may run this program, but mine does. So with this program, there's no income or asset guidelines. You just have to be over 60. So I just communicate with my my local food bank monthly. I tell them how many bags I want to come into my building that month, how many people, you know, of my people want to participate in that program. And they bring those bags right to me every single month. And I do call them bags, but yeah, they're not. (laughs) It's a lot of food. They do get a bag full of, well, they're boxes now, but anyway, they get a box full of the shelf-stable items as well. But they also get bread and meat and eggs and fresh fruits and vegetables. So those come monthly as well. So, yeah, I, (laughs) I love, there's a lot. I'm so glad that we're covering each of these because each in itself is just such a great resource. I mean, I've also gotten written down here. I mean, you can call 211 and go on 211.org and find, you know, programs with the churches or the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, you know, people that may, you know, want to do food program. And also importantly for everyone, food donation programs. You know, if you have extra food in the house, you know, please take a moment and be generous and share it with the food banks in your area. And I know there's probably any number of ways you can find about local food drives, right? Yeah, there's just a whole, yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can 
find different food programs. First off, you know, reach out to your local food bank. They're the ones that handle all of the programs. So reach out to them. They know what programs are going to, uh, you know, meet a specific population's needs. They know where they're sending the food. They're overseeing these programs. So you can actually just reach out to them at the feedamerica.org. You just type in your zip code once again, and, you know, your local food pantry is going to pop up. The cool thing about that site, though, is not only is your local... So wait, just a second. Is that, that's, that's from Feeding America, right? The Feeding... Yes, I'm sorry. So it's feed... Feedingamerica.org. Oh, feed... Okay, so feedingamerica.org. Feeding... Let's just say for everyone, it's either feedamerica.org or feedingamerica.org. <laughs> I don't You'll find it. Down, feeding no, America, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. My fault. No, that's all right. So feedingamerica.org, great organization. Any, and, you know, this is a longer episode, but I think it's just gold information because, and also we talked before, you know, that let's talk about the ugly vegetables a little bit, you know. The ones that they don't feel that are suitable to actually go on the supermarket shelves. I mean, that that's also people even specialize in that stuff because we make food and then we don't want to sell it because it's got a weird shape. Yeah. Yeah. So that is why I do want to clear. It is feedamerica.org. Oh, it's feedamerica. Got it. Yeah. Just so people know. Yeah. Click on, you know, type that in, put your zip code in, click find food. And then all of the pantries that are in your county are going to pop up. So, yeah, great thing. So, yeah, the food program you're talking about, yeah, that's a great program. I mean, why throw that food out? It's still good. So they distribute that to people in need or different food pantries, things of that nature. I currently work with a program that is called Cultivate Food Rescue. They what they do is very similar. They don't just focus on fruits and vegetables and things of that nature. So what they do is they work with area grocery stores, area bakeries, all of those type of places, and they get a lot of that ready-made food. So, you know, we get a lot of wraps and salads and things of that nature. So they go collect those things before they've gone bad. And they redistribute them into, you know, programs like mine, or they do a backpack program for the schools. They use that food. There's a lot of programs like that at the local levels. You just have to reach out. And yeah, 211 is an amazing thing to reach out to. Why I like 211, they're kind of that 911 for social services. So you okay. can just, you can reach out to them. You can reach out to them at 211.org and, you know, it's all online. You're going to find all of your local organizations. You just put in your zip code or the fun thing about two or the great thing about them, because a lot of people don't want to use a computer. You can just dial 211 and they're going to answer that phone and they're going to, you know, be able to connect you with anything in your area that's going to help meet your needs. But yeah. Also, reach out to your local agencies, even the American Legion, the VFWs, lines clubs, churches, things of that nature. They are going to be able to refer you to organizations that are going to assist you with whatever needs you have. They're in your communities. They work with the other agencies. 
So don't be afraid just because they're not actually, you know, an agency that does that. Don't be afraid to ask because they have all of these resources right there. And they want to help. That's the thing. They want to help. I mean, if you or a loved one, you know, is, you know, are experiencing issues where you feel you, you know, don't have enough access to food that you feel is nutritious for you, is feel is healthy for you. If you're having trouble getting out and getting food because of transport, if you feel like you, you can't get to a congregate meal site or feel embarrassed about being, a, there are all these options out there for you. And, and, you know, again, it's just something where people, I mean, it's going to go to waste otherwise. So please take advantage. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up this episode, Jennifer? The only other thing that I want to say is that if you are an organization and you want to start, you know, you want to become a distribution site for, say, the commodity boxes or some of these senior nutrition programs, you know, it's not that hard. You know, they, these, the food bank makes it fairly easy to go ahead and do that. So just reach out to them, let them know, hey, you know, I have this whole, group of people that participate in this program, but they're having difficulty getting over to that pantry to pick up that box or something like that. They're going to work with you to make you a distribution site because usually what they're going that way anyway. So they you know, they've told me uh, we're going there. We're going that way. It's just as easy for us to drop these off at your location. So, you know, when we do that, then we're elim- eliminating some of those barriers because, you know, with those commodity boxes, individuals, I think they're allowed to miss pick up twice and then they are okay. taken off the program. But if it's already in your building, if it's already where they're at, you know, then they're not going to be at risk of losing that. So just reach out to your food banks. They're also the ones that know about every single age specific program because they're the ones running them. They know they're going to be able to tell you about your target population and services that are available to them surrounding food. And you might be able just to get them right there at your own location. All right. So just to run these down quickly again, we have our local area agency on aging. We have 211 as a great resources, a local food banks like Feeding America resources. And of course, our wonderful Navigides can be a terrific resources. So we do want to call out our Navigide program, and I'll do that as we bring this episode of Ask a Navigide to an end. And Jennifer, thank you so, so much of your wealth of knowledge, and thank you so much for sharing this on this show. And thank you, the listener, for listening. This is Ask a Navigide, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series brought to you by United Church Homes. If you like this week's show, please like, share, subscribe, as we always say. We are on YouTube at United Church Homes. You can also find every episode of this series at AbundantAgingPodcast.com. For more information about the UCH Navigate program, and that's both if you're at need and also if you're curious about bringing the types of programs that we described into your own organizations, please visit UCHNavigate.org and drop us a line or give us a call and let us know how we can be of help. We'd love to help. 
whether just for one time or month after month. So we're there for you. For more information about United Church Homes, please visit unitedchurchhomes.org. And again, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time.